the most attended service of the entire week. Uh, we also know that from local media reports, up to 12 people were shot. We begin tonight with that breaking news, a horrific scene in Charlottesville, Virginia. In Paris, violent clashes erupted between police and protesters for the third straight weekend. The attack on the Mother Emanuel AME Church was not just a murder of nine African-American worshipers. Like all terrorist attacks, it was an effort to send a message to use violence to sow hate. The shooter left one person alive to bear witness to what he had done. But two days later, at his bond hearing, members of the victim's family stood and one after the other forgave the alleged murderer and prayed for him. So Jesus, when he rose from the dead, uh, and one of uh, his first appearances to his disciples, he comes to them and uh, and he talk and he speaks directly to them, uh, kind of in the upper room as they're trembling in fear because of what has just happened to their Savior. And he comes to them. You don't have to you don't have to turn here, but this is John chapter twenty, verse nineteen through twenty one, and he says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to, to, make, to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending now, this is the opposite of what they had just gone through. They had just seen their leader, their savior, their Messiah, brutally murdered on a cross. And then he, they get this news that he's not in the grave anymore. And they're kind of wondering what that's all about. And then Jesus appears to them. And the first thing that he says is, peace be with you. Because at, the, at, the, at that time, they were just in pure chaos and everything had really escalated quickly uh really escalated quickly and, and the last 48 hours of jesus's life were very chaotic i mean anything but peaceful it was a whirlwind of everything happening with the disciples i mean have you ever been in one of those situations where everything is good everything is going as planned and then very very quickly things escalate to and you wonder where how did we get there maybe it was in a conversation with a family member or a friend and everything was fine one moment and then and then everything escalates quickly and you're like what what just happened? Now, if you've ever been the husband of a pregnant woman, you know what this is like, right? I mean, because one moment you're the hero, right? And, and then like four seconds later, she's looking at you and saying, what did you do to me? You know? It, it, the, the sweat, like, well, that ex escalated quick. I don't know how that happened. And that's exactly what the disciples are going through in that moment where every, there was on, on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, they're, they're wanting to proclaim this Jesus as their king. And then on Friday, they're crucifying him on the cross. How did that happen? How did it escalate to that kind of violence so quickly? So I think that this is an appropriate use of this peace language. Peace be with you, because in that moment, it was nothing but chaos. And so Jesus actually doesn't talk about peace that much. Uh, he doesn't talk about it. Uh, he, now, he is the prince of peace. We know that. Uh, but, it, you know, relatively, according to, uh, to a lot of other things that he talks about, he doesn't talk about peace that much. But here's the deal. Peace was more of an action for Jesus. He brought peace 
wherever he went. Now, when we talk about peace uh, in the Hebrew language, it's and this is something that the Jews really participated a lot in and talked a lot about, uh, and they talked about shalom, uh, which is this state of the culture. It's more than just like a greeting, like, hey, what's up, peace? Like, it, it's a whole lot more than that. It's, a, it's, more, it's more of an entire way of life. Shalom was a lifestyle. It was all-encompassing. And Jesus brought peace wherever he went uh, because peace is the consistent state of the kingdom. And Jesus is the king. And so wherever the king went, he brought peace wherever he went. So where the king went, there was healing. Wherever the king went, there was resources. Wherever the king went, there was peace. And so he didn't have to talk about it so much as it was an action. Wherever he went, peace was brought with him. Now, we have the wrong idea about peace normally as Americans in our culture. We, we don't under, fully understand what peace really means. We have a static view of peace. And here's what I mean by that. We think that peace is when we go to a specific location or do a specific thing, then we will have peace or gain peace. So, I, you know, if you go to a specific place, like on vacation, like you know that every year we're going to go to this specific beach house or, or do this specific thing with our family, and that's where I'm going to get peace. In that place, a static place, that's where I go to go find my peace. Or if I go home, home is where peace is. Or if I get a babysitter, that's when peace arrives, right? Uh, and, and so, or if I take a day off, or I have to have my coffee in a pair of noise-canceling headphones, and then I will have peace. If I go to Hawaii, that's where peace reigns on the earth, right? And so if I go there, a static location, that's where I'm going to find peace. But here's the deal. Jesus's idea of peace was not static at all. It wasn't a place in which you go or, or, or anything like that. It was an active and moving that wherever Jesus went, that's where peace went. Do you, do you understand? That's where peace went. Peace came with him. And the kingdom of peace was located wherever the peace, or, or, or peace was located wherever the king went. And so this is why he says these words, peace be with you. Now, how can he say that peace be with you? Why? Because the king was in the room. Peace can now be with you because peace, the prince of peace, is in the room. And then he says this, as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Meaning I'm going to put peace upon you and wherever you go, you're going to bring it with you. Jesus had very active language and the church was going to be actively practicing or bringing peace to where it is. So the church is not a static place in which peace resides. The church is a living, breathing people who are on the move. And so peace is not a place where people go. Peace is, a, is God's people on the move. So where the church goes, chaos ends. Wherever the church goes, people are healed. Wherever the church goes, people are provided for. Wherever the church goes, people are restored and redeemed. And wherever we go, it's not static, it's moving. Where we go, peace resides. And this is the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. So when we talk about this idea of waging peace... We're not peacekeepers, although we should keep the peace. But our job is to make peace. Now, that's different. And we're going to be talking a lot about that next week, so I'll leave that for next week. But we're not to be passive peacekeepers. Our job is to be a peace 
maker. But the question remains, where does the peace come from? How do I get it? How do I know that I'm in this state of shalom? How do, how do I get there? Where does it come from? Where does it originate from? If I'm supposed to bring peace wherever I go, how do I obtain it in the first place? Because my life is chaos. If you look around in my life, it's anxiety. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't have peace. I can't bring peace anywhere. My life is nuts. I, like, I go home and it's crazy. I'm anxious all the time. My kids are chaotic. My life is chaotic. My job is chaotic. I'm running and running and I'm busy all the time. How in the world am I going to bring peace anywhere because my life is not peaceful? And that's a great question. And so before we talk about making peace anywhere or bringing peace anywhere, we have to think about where does it come from? We have to be peaceful. We have to be at peace. We have to be a people of peace. So how does that happen? And so I think we're going to find the answer in Philippians uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 4 through 7. Just, so there's just a few verses today. So I hope that you're, you're there in your Bible. If you don't have it, it's uh, in the YouVersion app or the Holy Bible app. You can find it there under live events, all of my verses and all, everything there. Uh, so, uh, so I hope that you're there. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to start at the end, okay? So go to verse 7 with your eyes. Go to verse 7. I want to read verse 7, okay? It says this. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so hang on right there. So we have this idea of the peace of God, and then it says it surpasses all understanding, meaning it blows our mind. It's beyond logic. It's beyond understanding. It breaks all kinds of norms. It is supernatural. It gives us this sense of it's not supposed to be like this. It doesn't make any sense. It be, it's beyond human logic, but we have this peace that surpasses all understanding where when all the world is going to, to, to pot, like it's just going crazy, Christians have a sense of supernatural peace. Or at least those who are in Christ have a supernatural peace about themselves. And that's the peace of God that comes upon them. And it says it guards us against the chaotic world. It guards us. Now, I want you to see the huge conjunction which this whole thing rides on, okay? So the first word in verse 7 is and, okay? And. That's a big, big word. And what that word means is equals. That everything that precedes this is the key to peace. So the verses that precede it, it's kind of like an if-then statement. So think of the and word as, you have all this other stuff, then the peace of God, which guards your hearts, will be with you. All right? Okay? So so it's it's a little bit like an equation. When I say it equals, so you have and, which is an equal sign. And so you have to put everything before this statement as part of the equation. Okay? So now I'm going to read verse 4 through 6. It says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your request, be, um, with thanksgiving, let your request be, na- be known to God. Okay, so what we have here is three imperatives, or their commands, from Paul, written down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, from God, Right? And so there's three commands in this scripture passage that he's going to say, do these things and equals the peace of God will rule in your hearts. 
Okay, does that make sense? So it's a little bit of an equation. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three specific imperatives or challenges or uh, commands that Paul gives to us. The first one is this. In order to have peace, the peace of God, number one, you have to have perpetual worship. Perpetual worship. Rejoice in the Lord. Give me that word right there. Always. Again, I say rejoice. We are worshiping beings. Worshiping beings. We are created to worship, not just worship on Sundays. Most of us think is we're going to go to the worship service on Sundays, and that's where I'm going to sing, and I'm going to, quote, worship. Uh, um, you know, but, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm not going to sing all the time. Like, you're not expecting me to be at church all the time. How does that work? Mark Driscoll, a pastor, says this, and I love this quote. He says, we are all worshipers. We are always, all the time, at every moment, and every day, worshiping something. We never stop worshiping. The question is, what are we worshiping? The first two commandments of the Ten Commandments help us understand this. The first two commandments are about worship. The first two commandments are this. You shall have no other gods before me, meaning that you should worship only God alone. And the second one is this. Uh, you shall not worship any created thing. Don't form for yourself any kind of idol and worship that. So he says, you need to worship only God, and you can't have anything else in which you worship, meaning we are always worshiping all of the time. And this transcends everything we do. So God is asking us that we do the things that God commands us to do, we think the things that God has us take captive in our mind, and we are who God, we are who God wants us to be. So the question is, how do you worship? Because, I mean, yes, do we worship in this place? Yes, definitely. When we come here on Sundays, this is a worship service in which all of us are worshiping. Now, here's the deal. When we were standing up and we were singing just a few moments ago, is that worship? Yes, absolutely. Are you worshiping now? Yes. By listening to the word communicated, you are worshiping now. So, yes, it's singing. Is it getting up early and spending time with your creator? Yes. Is it giving your best at work, working as if working for the Lord? Yes. Is it managing your diet so that you would be healthy? Of course it is. Is it stewarding your finances so that you can give generously? Absolutely it is. Is it pondering, going outside and pondering the glories of God on a walk? Absolutely that's worship. Is it saying no to being busy so that you can spend time honing and making your marriage more healthy? Yeah, that's worship too. These are all forms of worship. That if we put God as our priority, it is per a perpetual state of worship. We're prioritizing what God wants in our life, what God wants us to do, how God wants us to think, and God, what God calls us to, uh, to be. That's a perpetual state of worship as we put him as our first priority. Okay? So perpetual worship leads to the peace of God. But you got two more. Number two, a generous disposition. A generous disposition. Disposition. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And pe people might know you, and here's what this means. People need to know you as someone who's gentle, who's someone who is wise, that they can come to, that you're not hot-headed that you're not overly emotional, that you're spirit-guided, that you think how God wants you to think. And I put this word in generously, that you have a generous disposition because you constantly think about what is best for everyone that you encounter. Everyone. 
that you're constantly thinking about not what's best for you, but what's best for them and how you can help them become the best thing that God wants them to be. That you think objectively by placing yourself aside and not think, okay, I want to use this person for what's best for me, but what's best for them. And that might be to your detriment sometimes, all right? It's not because you know everything. That's not the truth. Like, you don't have to know everything to be a really wise person. But you can listen really well and be a wise person. You can ask really good questions and help people to think. That you're generous with your time. That you think through what other people need. That you inspire them in Christ. And here's the deal. You also can give them really gentle and uh, really gentle constructive criticism and keep them in line. That you help them do that. You gently point out their flaws in their life, loving them and caring for them, listening to them. That you have a generous, reasonable disposition. Right? These are the people who are peacemakers in our life. And we know who they are because when they walk into the room, the room can go from chaos to peace when they walk in the room. You know these people. That these are the people that come that people come to and they're greatly encouraged. That when they you walk away from a person like this, you feel closer to the Lord because you've been around them. And if you find someone like that, make sure you spend time with them. And you ask to take them to lunch and say, hey, can I just spend some time with you? I want to be encouraged by you. I want to learn what you do and how you think. And spend time with somebody like that and certainly become a personable of, a person of reasonableness. That's fun. All right, third one. Third one is this. A fearless trust in Christ. A fearless trust in Christ. I know this spans two verses, but here's the deal. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second because it's a command. Paul is commanding us in this moment to not be anxious. That's pretty important. About what? Anything. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. We live in a paranoid world. Amen? We live in what I would call an anxiety culture. We have anxiety disorders that are at an all-time high. Psycho, uh, psychotropic drugs are at an all-time high. Suicides, anxiety disorders in children, anxiety disorders in teens, moms, dads. We have an anxiety academic, uh, academic epidemic in this country. We worry about literally everything. We worry about not having enough money. We worry about having too much money. We worry about having too much salt. We worry about how, having too little salt. Too much gluten, not enough gluten, right? We worry about whether our children are getting enough attention. Maybe they're, maybe they're getting too much attention. We worry about literally everything. We worry, we worry about terrorism, potholes, fluoride, bullies, grades, college debt, car debt, house debt, credit card debt. And right now, some of you are worried about how long I'm going to preach for, and you're worried about that. <laughs> when is this guy going to get done? And you're worried about that. You're literally worried about this point. He's going to talk about anxiety. That makes me anxious. Let me talk about this incredible truth. Thousands of years ago, God created the world. He placed man and woman inside of a garden where everything was perfect and good. And then they sinned against God, creating separation between them and God. And produced chaos. Murder, evil, wrong, cheating, stealing, everything. 
and the world began to go nuts. So God flooded the world, basically kind of a little do-over, leaving one family. That one family still had the same sinful problem that the first family had. And so sin ran rampant in that family. Eventually God created a people for himself. This is my children called the Israelites. These are my people. These are my children. I'm going to be with them always. But they ran away from him too. And they did all sorts of crazy, chaotic, wicked things all the time. But God saved for himself a remnant, a line, in which he produced his own son. His name was Jesus. And Jesus came into the world perfect in every single way, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death in our place for our sin. And then he rose again three days later, and he ascended into heaven where he rules and he reigns over the entire world and everything is in his hands. Nothing happens outside of his control. He has a full plan for the entire universe about how he's going to restore it. And anyone who believes in him is a part of that plan to live eternally in a perfect, perfect world. That's Jesus' plan. He is fully at the helm of everything in the universe. And my question to you is, what are you worried about? The right man is at the helm of the universe. What are we worried about? Now I'm going to say a couple of things that will make you anxious. Paul says this. And he says, do not be anxious. It's a command. It's an imperative from the scripture for us to obey. In our culture, we treat anxiety like a disease. We treat it like cancer or a cold. We treat it as like something that we catch. Anxiety came upon me and there's nothing that I could do about it. Never in the scripture does it say, don't get sick. God knows fully well that you have no control over whether you get sick or not, whether you get cancer or not, whether you get a cold, whether you get the flu. It doesn't say don't get sick. But it does say in this scripture passage, do not be anxious. It is a direct command. The reason why he gives us this command is because he has given us dominion over it. Through him, through his son, we have dominion and self-control inside of our own heads. And I know, and I know that some of you are thinking, Charlie, it is not that simple. It is not that simple. and, And I know that anxiety is a serious paralysis and it is not easy. I, I fully understand that. But here's what I want to do. I want us as a church to stop thinking about anxiety as a disease that we suffer. I need us to start thinking about it as a command in which we obey. That it is a discipline that we sharpen. That it is a mind that is self-controlled. That's different than the way that the world thinks. And I know that it's challenging some of you right now. Anxiety is a result of fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of something that's going to crush you. That's going to come crashing down on you. But truly, folks... We have nothing to be worried about if we are in Christ. And that's why I say that it is a fearless trust in Christ. Now, some of you in this room have a lot to worry about. 
If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, to save your soul from your sin, you have everything in the world to be justifiably worried. You should be worried. Because you are holding your own soul in your own hand, and it is a sinful hand, and you're going to stand before a holy God one day, and you're holding your, your acts of your goodness in front of a holy God, and you're going to say, I hope that it's good enough, and it's not. So my hope is that you will fearlessly trust in Christ. Come to a saving relationship with him. Some of you don't have that, and I desire that for you. And so we as a church need to be thinking through, how are we going to get to that peace level? And it's those three things you see up on the screen. Perpetual worship, generous disposition, and a fearless trust in Christ. That's the peace equation. I'll put it, I'll put it up there like this. Uh, I'll put it up there like an equation. You can throw them all up there, yeah. So it's, it looks just like this, like a math equation. You have these three things, like a three-legged stool. It's these three things. If one falls, the whole thing begins to fall. You might worship all of the time, listen to Christian music, you go for walks, you have a healthy life. You might actually have self-control within your mind. But people don't come to you. You're hot-headed. You're emotional, overly emotional. You're not reasonable. And so you don't have that peace. Same could happen with worship or whatever the other thing is. And we need to think through this equation for our life. And you might wonder, where is the peace going to come from? I want you to analyze your life and think through, which one of these three things am I missing? Am I not obeying? Because I really want the peace of God in my life. If you want that, we need to think through all of these equations, okay? So Jesus says this. I love this passage of Scripture, and I want to leave this with you, okay? It says this in John 15. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. John 15, 7. It says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But this, my Father, is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Live in it. If you keep my commandments, remember, these are all commandments. These are all things that Paul has has said. These are things that we must do. If you you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy might be what? Full. You want that full life? We keep his commandments and we abide in Christ. Christ is the true source of our peace. We abide in him and then we are able to be peacemakers. We do this peace equation and we become peaceful peaceful members of this church. We take peace with us wherever we go. It's not a place place in which we go to where, where we receive peace. The king, the prince of peace lives inside of us and peace goes where we go. So it doesn't matter your circumstance. Peace goes where you go. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. Now I want to give us some time uh, to just kind of respond to this and how we're going to do that is we're going to take communion today and uh, we're going to remember Jesus' death and resurrection for us. 
uh, and we're going to remember that his body was broken and his blood was spilled. I know that we just did that last week, uh, but we want to do that again just as a, as a time of worship. So, um, so we're going to take communion together over the next couple minutes. Uh, I would ask, just so if, you, if you're not a believer, that this is just something that you just need to sit out. But uh, and and I would I would ask though, if you're thinking through becoming a believer, that I would love to talk with you about that, about becoming a Christian and walking with the Lord, uh, and and uh, that thing that I said that you would be worried about. You should be worried, and I really would love to talk to you about that to really ease that worry and take it away from you uh, and, and so that you might walk with Christ. Um, but Jesus told us uh, that as his body was broken, broken for us, uh, that, that we should remember him by taking the bread and the wine, right? And so we're going to take, uh, take these elements as a form of perpetual worship. So let's do that today, okay? Father, thank you. Uh, for a time now of worship. We're grateful uh, that you have gifted us with time this morning uh, where we have prioritized you, uh, where we have given of our, of our time uh, to make sure that you are the focus of our morning. Uh, and so we, we give everything over to you. God, I know that there's people in this room that may have, um, they're worried about what I said this morning is a mind shift for them. And God, I pray that you would ease that burden for them and help them to see truth. Help them to see it from your word, not from the world, but from your scripture, from your truth. And God, I pray that you would, in, in the questions and in the listening, God, I pray that you would be in the midst of those conversations. God, I pray that we would be a people of peace that want to take peace to the world. God, that we would not be passive, but we would be active. And Jesus, as we remember death on the cross for us as your body was broken and your blood was spilled. We take these elements in remembrance of what you have done. So thank you for an opportunity now that we worship. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand